I am Vivian Ho, host of Paris Healthcare Playbook Podcast. At Pair, we partner with founders from Idea to Series A, and we're excited to share stories from trailblazing healthcare founders and leaders on how they built a digital health business from zero to one. We're super excited to have Priyanka Jane, CEO and co-founder of Evie, here with us today. Founded in 2020, based in New York, Evie is on a mission to radically reinvent how we understand and treat the female body, starting with the vaginal microbiome. Prior to Evie, Priyanka was the head of product at Pymetrics for four years and earned her bachelor's degree at Stanford University. And in July of 2021, last year, Evie raised $5 million in seed funding led by General Catalyst. And with that, I'd like to thank Priyanka for joining us here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat. Awesome. Yeah, I've been fangirling you for a while, so I'm excited that we finally get to talk <laughs> and I can grill you with questions. I guess to start, you know, I'd love to hear from your lens, you know, your journey and your career and how you decided to take an entrepreneurial path. Totally. You know, I think if you were tried to draw a through line of my life somehow, which would be difficult to be fair, but if you tried, I think the line would be something around, you know, how do you make life better for women? I very much started in the nonprofit world, worked with a variety of organizations centered on ed- access to education and healthcare for girls and women in developing countries um, alongside the UN Foundation for many years um, and always really care, uh, have cared about access to uh, those rights for women everywhere. Um, and when I was at Stanford, I led Stanford Women in Business, which was an organization organization of essentially every undergraduate woman trying to get a job. <laughs> I was there, you know, spending hours coaching people for interviews, editing people's resumes. I remember thinking like, this is so dumb. Like, how is this how we decide who gets a job? These people were just as qualified before we edited their, edited their resume as after. Um, and if, you know, it's this bad at Stanford, I can only imagine how bad it is everywhere else in the country. And ended up meeting an amazing woman who was the founder and CEO of Pymetrics, which is a company that was using um, AI data science to actually make the hiring process more fair and effective. I was immediately like, oh my God, finally somebody using technology to solve this massive problem that affects all candidates and all the largest employers in the world. And I joined the team when we were smaller than Evie is now, which is like crazy being being back here full circle. And it was just a true, you know, startup journey experience. We got lucky in so many of the ways that you get lucky as a startup. We ended up raising $70 million. Our team's now, you know, 150 people. Um, And we work with, you know, some of the most amazing largest employers in the world. And it was so cool to you know, try to convince these companies to think about people differently. And how do you actually build algorithms that are fair and transparent? And it's funny because who knew that there was such a large Venn diagram overlap between HR and healthcare, but turns out you have a lot of the same challenges when it comes to data in healthcare, right? Where you have a really biased training set, frankly, that was built on middle-aged, mid-sized white men. And you're trying to make that data applicable to people who look like us. I became really intrigued by the opportunities to bring a lot of those really interesting data principles of fair algorithms, transparent algorithms, and how those could be applied in healthcare. And, you know, over the past two years, I think all of us were thinking more about healthcare than usual, given what was going on in the world. Um, And I was dealing with a myriad of my own, you know, just like mysterious healthcare problems. I think every woman has her own version of this story. But going to doctor after doctor being like, you know, maybe you should drink more water. Or like, maybe you're stressed. Or like, maybe you should sleep more. And I was like, are you kidding me? Is anyone ever going to use data to help me figure out what's going on in my body? And as I did some of my own research, essentially, I started to realize that all of our understandings of health and disease are based on middle-aged, mid-sized white men. 
And forever we've assumed that women are small men and like, we'll just make everything smaller and it's going to work. And obviously that's not true. And to this day, women are on average diagnosed four years later across 770 diseases. Then I became really excited and intrigued by the idea that there's probably so many signals floating around in the female body that could help us do a much better job understanding who is sick, who is healthy, but we're just not measuring or tracking any of those things today because they didn't exist in men. Um, and so that was really the, the genesis of Evie was to say, how do we discover and leverage female-specific biomarkers that could help us improve risk prediction, diagnosis, and treatment of female-specific diseases? Awesome. Wow. That makes so much sense. I, <laughs> I think it's like crazy. I, I love your quote on, they think women are just small men. Like I'm going to quote that. <laughs> um, women are not small men. I need to make sure that says that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's awesome. Yeah. I guess like, you know, in terms of founding Evie, how did you land on this specific women's health problem? Obviously there aren't a lot of treatments, but you know, I'm curious when you were ideating, what was it that drew you to this specific idea? And then also how did you think about bringing your team together, finding a co-founder? Yeah, of course. So it turns out that the vaginal microbiome is one of those things that touches all the boxes I was saying before. It really is one of those opportunities to better measure what's going on in the female body. And what I mean by that is, as you probably know, the vaginal microbiome is actually the cause of some of the most con common conditions in women. Yeast infections, recurrent UTIs, bacterial vaginosis, aerobic vaginitis, cytolytic vaginosis. There's a huge long tail of conditions that are direct, um, impl basically implicated, the vaginal microbiome is the cause of them, right? And those are conditions that are not only highly prevalent, affecting, you know, over 30% of women every single year, but on top of that, obviously, as probably you and I know, extremely debilitating, right? It's like all you can think about. It's so frustrating. It affects your, not just your physical health, but your mental health, your emotional health, your relational health to your partners, your coworkers, all of the shame involved in it. Um, and it just blows my mind that there is something that is as prevalent and frustrating as vaginal infections are. And, you know, as you were touching on earlier, our diagnostics and treatments for it are like literally 1800 centric, right? It's like, oh, we're going to smell for the bacteria. And if they smell, I guess we'll just throw a bomb at it and then hope that something different grows back. And obviously that doesn't happen. And it has one of the highest recurrence rates in medicine. I mean, it blew my mind both from a, you know, a person with a vagina, how frustrating that experience is, but then also really the opportunities that exist in the vaginal microbiome to not only, you know, prevent or treat these really common and frustrating conditions, but also to think about overall female health, everything from whether or not IVF succeeds to whether someone will have a preterm birth, whether cervical cancer will progress, they'll acquire an STI. And I'm happy to kind of explain more about the vaginal microbiome and the science part of it, but essentially it has these really far-reaching implications on our overall health. And the fact that there is something as prevalent and frustrating, and then also as expensive to the health healthcare system, it just blew my mind that there was so much white space in terms of data and opportunities to really change that um, set of problems. Yeah, I guess to put it in picture, in data points, because I like kind of having like a number and also for maybe men listening, <laughs> how many women are affected in the U.S. by these conditions? Yeah. Like I said, up to 30% of women at any given time have a single one of the vaginal infections called yeah. bacterial vaginosis, which is essentially dysbiosis of the vaginal microbiome, meaning that like some of the pathogenic bacteria are more prominent than some of the protective bacteria. And that one alone affects 30% of women, right? Which always makes me laugh because when I give a list of yeast infections, UTIs, BV, people have heard of the first two, but very rarely have heard of the third, even though that one affects 30% of women, right? That's crazy. I mean, people just don't talk about it. I think it's also something that is, you know, your personal thing. 
which is part cool. of the problem, right? And we talk yeah. a lot about destigmatizing vaginal health because these are some of the most common conditions in women and no one talks about them, right? Nobody talks about bacterial vaginosis, probably because, you know, it's not that comfortable to go around saying, you know, my <laughs> vagina smells like fish, but it's like one of the most common conditions in women. Um, and so it's mind blowing to me how alone people feel in that experience, even though by the numbers, none of us are alone. Yeah, totally. Cool. And then like, how did you think about, okay, like I'm going to create, like actually just kind of explain to the audience what does Evie do today? Like what offering do you have today? And then also kind of going backwards, how did you think about creating this offering? Yeah, totally. And maybe before I dive into the offering, can I do a little explainer on yes. the vaginal microbiome, which I think will explain. That'd be great. <laughs> you. Okay. So I'm assuming most people have heard of microbiomes generally. Your gut microbiome, there's a microbiome on your skin, in your mouth, you name it. Essentially fancy word for community of bacteria, fungi, et cetera, that live on a certain part of your body. And if you think about your vagina, it actually serves as the structural connection between the outside world that's full of all of these pathogens and some of your most important internal reproductive organs. And it turns out that we've essentially co-evolved with this community of microbes that live in our vagina that do more than just like hang out there. It turns out that they actually play a really interesting kind of what I call a local immune system role for us. And when your vaginal microbiome is in a healthy or protective state, it's dominated by microbes, most commonly like lactobacillus, which play actually a really interesting role. They actually produce a lot of lactic acid and hydrogen peroxide that keep the acidity of the vagina high or keep your pH low. And by doing that, they actually make it a really inhospitable environment for pathogens. So if you, you know, have sex with someone new or you sit near some soup for too long or do, you know, live your life, God forbid, and some of those microbes start to get into your vagina, those protective microbes actually make it so that those pathogenic microbes can't get anywhere because they can't survive in that super acidic environment. And, you know, but obviously the breakdown of the vaginal microbiome is extremely common. And the problem is that we haven't really thought about the overall vaginal ecosystem. Oftentimes we're just looking for an individual problem and then throwing a bomb at it and then hoping that the protective microbes take back over. And what we're trying to do is actually look at the vaginal microbiome overall, understand how much of the, the good microbes are winning. Are the bad microbes winning? And if so, which ones? And really look, taking a much more holistic approach to vaginal health than individually looking for specific potential pathogens. So anyways, that's kind of how the vaginal microbiome works and why it plays such a big role in overall female health. But in terms of what Evie's uh, current offering actually is, um, it's an at-home test that helps anyone better understand what's going on in her vagina. What can you actually do about it? And how is it related to your overall health goals, right? So is are the microbes that we found, have they been shown in research to have associations with positive health outcomes, negative health outcomes, what has research shown to be effective in changing a microbiome that looks like yours. And also just getting a better understanding of like, how does my microbiome shift with my behaviors, with my partners, with the diet that I'm on, right? Like there's so little understanding today of why our vaginal microbiomes change. And for so many women that leads to living in fear, right? Like, oh, if, what if I take a bubble bath and something happens? Or what if I have sex with my partner and then I'm in pain for a week, right? And so being able to show them, okay, when you do X, this is what your microbiome looks like after. And now you can either know that that's a trigger or like reduce your anxiety levels around something that might not actually be causing you a problem. Awesome. And how does it work? So like you get this kit, it's beautiful. Tell me like the process. 
Totally. So you can order it online at evie.com and then you get a, a kit in the mail. You take essentially, it's like a Q-tip swab of your vagina, send it back to our lab. And one of the cool things that we're doing is metagenomic sequencing, which is essentially a fancy word for doing really high fidelity sequencing on what's going on in your vagina. So we're able to really accurately come back to you with here's everything that's present across bacteria and fungi. And so essentially we do the sequencing. We then combine the data of what's going on in your vagina microbiome with what you told us. So are you in menopause? Are you pregnant? Are you thinking about getting pregnant? Are you having recurrent infections? And then we create a really cool, engaging and educational experience for you to understand your own personal vaginal microbiome. Um, And then you actually can also talk to one of our certified health coaches who can help you really understand what your microbiome means for you, how it's changing over time, how to talk to your doctor, how to talk to your partner or any of the other things that you might need to do next. Awesome. And then do you also sort of, you mentioned like, you know, if I take a bubble bath, like <laughs> want to do the test, but then like, if I go swimming, do I take the t- Like, do you take the test every time you kind of want to know you're like testing yourself or how, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, such a good question. So right now you can take the test in like one of two ways. You can either buy it one off and just take it like, oh, I'm, you know, have been having a lot of symptoms and I'm curious what my microbiome looks like. Um, that's totally an option. We actually see that the majority of our customers test over time, meaning that they kind of test every three months. Some people test every month, some people test every six months. And it's either because they are, you know, proactively changing things, right? Whether it means taking a new treatment with their doctor, it means changing their sex practices, whatever it is. And they want to see if their microbiome is actually improving. I mean, as you probably know, there's a lot of snake oil on the market of selling people probiotics. And a lot of times we can be like, you know, these supplements you're taking aren't doing anything, or maybe they are working for you, but we can finally answer that question. And the other reason people test over time is to be a lot more preventative and proactive, right? Your microbiome is a community and, you know, bacterial vaginosis or these infections are really when your community has completely shifted from being dominated from protective by protective microbes to being dominated by disruptive ones. But people often want to kind of catch that early and try to push it back to the healthy environment before it actually gets to the point when it smells, which is what we do We do today is we wait until it smells and then we throw a bomb at it. And so a lot of people who've been recurrent in the past want to stay ahead of it for the future. Awesome. And talking about, you mentioned there's not a lot of healthcare data based on women. How do you kind of see this as a step towards collecting data for women? Totally. I mean, a lot of what we want to do is empower the individual person with the vagina who's been frustrated and just never had access to information. And that's kind of our first foremost goal is how do we give every person with a vagina access to the information to better understand their own bodies, what's working for them, what does it look like when they have symptoms, when they don't, and really give them access to their own data. On the back end, we are able to do a lot of the research that you know, hasn't been done on the vaginal microbiome, really starting to understand what does work for people, what doesn't work for people. How does the vaginal microbiome look in diverse groups of people over time based on different practices? And then hopefully what we can do is start to advocate for better diagnostics and treatments in the space, right? So that we can actually bring the data behind so many, I mean, I always say there's so much intelligence in the collective minds of people who've suffered for so long, but there just hasn't been enough research actually proving the many hypotheses that they have. So we can finally put the data behind it and say, actually, all of these you know, people who've been saying that XYZ works for them, we can actually prove that finally, right? So doctors aren't telling you constantly, it's in your head, that's made up, there's no research behind it. It's like, well, part of the reason there isn't research behind a lot of these things is because people haven't decided to fund that research. And so we're really excited to kind of put the data behind that intelligence and knowledge at scale so that we can have much better access to real scientific information on what works. 
That's amazing. Awesome. Yeah, it's so crazy that there isn't enough research in this space. <laughs> and in terms of uh, thinking about future, I know you're like still quite early in your journey, but let's talk about like a big vision. So in thinking you know, where this could go, you are passionate about women's health. Are there other areas you know, adjacent that you think would be interesting to expand into? Maybe not now, but in like five years. <laughs> Totally. I mean, I think there's, you know, I always say there's a lot of problems to be solved in vaginal health. There's a lot of, we could spend probably a hundred years in vaginal health. And to be fair, you know, there's so many amazing researchers and scientists who have spent a hundred years in vaginal health and we still don't have all of the answers that we deserve. Um, but I think there's a lot of conditions in women's health that suffer from a lack of comprehensive data. And I think hopefully our contribution to the broader women's health space can be a focus on discovering and leveraging those biomarkers that can enable every provider to provide much more precise, holistic, and preventative care around a variety of different women's health problems, right? And so right now, I actually heard this amazing Dr. David Sable said this so well at a conference I was at the other day, where he basically said, you know, we went from having cancer to having lung cancer, to being able to say, you know, this is the specific mutation of the gene that is causing cancer in this person. And if you look at so many of the problems in women's health, they're all at like lung cancer level. Like we still haven't gotten to like, oh, this is the specific problem that you have. And that would enable us so much better to come up with solutions and treatments. And we're hoping that by focusing on the data, we can bring, you know, bacterial vaginosis, which is a ridiculously broad term that encapsulates every dysbiosis of the vaginal microbiome into all of the different conditions that actually exist within it so that we can actually start coming up with better treatments and better care. And I think you can apply that same logic to so many other areas, whether it's menopause, PCOS, anything that ends in syndrome, right? It's like, that's a ridiculous term for a disease and we should do a much better job defining and treating those conditions. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. And then going into the playbook part of the healthcare playbook, I'd love to talk about thinking about your MVP, you know, once you had funding or before you had funding, how did you think about standing up an MVP to think about, do people want to use it? Do people want to like take a home test? Should we do it in labs instead? You know, how did you think totally. about the early days? Such a great question. So we are big proponents of building with your customers. Um, we actually, when we were first building Evie a year ago, um, we were deep in literally, we had, I think it was like 50 women who had chronic vaginal issues. And we were just like, tell us everything that you want, that you need. Um, and very, I mean, the most common thing we heard is we don't understand what's going on. And so we were very like quickly validated on the question of like, is data and answers? a big enough value proposition. And then literally, I remember, you know, before we launched our product, before we had the beautiful packaging and the fulfillment center and all of the things that you need to run a true D2C operation, it was Lane and I, no joke, on my floor, hand packaging. Okay, this is the type of swab we need. This is the reagent. This is the person we're sending it to. And just literally mailing it out to the women who were suffering and trying to get a lot of feedback. I mean, I was manually processing what the data meant, trying to like send it in an email to people, pulling up different ways to visualize it and trying to get feedback. Um, so we did everything very, very manually until we figured out what made sense to people and what was really truly providing value to them. And then that's what we actually productized and scaled and launched. Awesome. And uh, do you have any like tips on thinking back like on that process for founders who are in that early stage and being scrappy and... <laughs> yeah. totally. I mean... 
I think that everything, especially in healthcare, everything feels kind of impossible. It's like, you truly are like, everything feels momentous, difficult. And I think that, you know, one, remembering that even though you aren't a doctor, you can still provide value. So how do you partner with doctors? How do you partner with the experts, with the customer, and really be able to provide them both with information and services that make their lives better and easier? That was super important for us because I think there was a lot of insecurity for us of saying like, we've suffered from this. And like, you know, we've probably given ourselves a very light PhD in the topic, given that we've read every paper on the vaginal microbiome. But, you know, there's just a level of insecurity that you have as a young woman saying like, I'm going to go into a medical sphere. And I think by becoming true experts on like, who are the people who are suffering and what do they need? We were able to bring value back to the healthcare system who maybe didn't have that unique insight. And I think remembering that like, sometimes it's okay to not be the expert. You just need to work with them and you need to partner with them and you need to create value for them. Um, And I think that was super important for us in our early days to really understand kind of our role in the problem. Yeah, that's really good advice. And thinking about, you know, you mentioned your 51st patients. How do you think about a consumer health product as they go to market strategy, right? So, you know, you can go towards providers and solve the problem there. You can send tests to, people home, to people's yeah. homes. How did you think about go to market and also like what are benefits going directly to the consumer? Totally. I mean, I think that there's a lot of value in what we're doing for a provider, for a payer, for an employer. I'm sure that, you know, people always say like for a pharma company, I'm sure there's many people who could benefit from much better data on the problems that exist. I'm just such a firm believer that women and people with vaginas have suffered for so long that it's unfair to start anywhere else, right? It gets unfair to create solutions for anyone who isn't the person who is suffering and that that person deserves the data and the insights first. And then we can build for all of the other players in the space. But I think that especially in women's health, just like, again, women have a lot of purchasing power. Women are leading contributors to healthcare system costs and they are willing and able to invest in their own health. And they've frankly been left behind by so many parts of the healthcare system that you can reach them directly. And I don't want to wait five years to sell you know, some massive contracts before it gets in someone's hands. And it's really empowering and exciting to actually just provide that value directly to the person who is suffering. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And how did you think about reaching out to these women? Like, how do you find them? I I spoke with another founder in our portfolio and she mentioned like Facebook groups, but I'm curious, like, how did you think about it? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that a lot of women's health conditions have very active Facebook groups. Um, We have the same in vaginal health. And we've been amazed by, frankly, the like, I don't know what you want to call it, like the micro-influencers, the supporters, the people who run those communities and that have really like dedicated so much of their lives to providing support and education around vaginal health. They've been our biggest champions, right? They've been the people who like been like, oh, you've always wanted answers. Here's finally a tool to have answers. And it's been amazing to see the power of those communities and how they've really spread the word on behalf of us. Um, And then I would say just like speaking to people kind of where they are, right? Not promising. It's actually been kind of interesting in that like, you know, we don't sell the solution. We don't sell treatments. We don't sell products. We just are in the business of giving you answers. And I think that is such a potentially like refreshing thing for a lot of our customers who, you know, walk down the CVS aisle and are promised, oh, here's the, you know, perfect way to make your vaginal odor go away. And, you know, maybe your vagina isn't supposed to smell like a flower. And like, maybe there isn't a silver bullet solution to all of your problems. And I think that by, you know, because our customers have been burned by everyone promising them some silver bullet. um, And Evie was never that. Evie was always here to say, it doesn't matter what you're doing. We're here 
easier to just show you what's working for you. Um, I think that really resonated with our customers. So really understanding, you know, where are they coming from? What is the journey that they've been on getting to you? And then how do you make sure that what you're providing is not something they've heard a hundred times and hasn't actually worked for them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think that's such a great perspective. And I can imagine you get a lot of great feedback from these communities that are very fiery. <laughs> um, <laughs> how do you think about what, you know, like when you think about how it translates into clinical data, you know, is test results enough to be clinical data? Or are you thinking about like what metrics, like what are, like you mentioned, matching it with their personal experiences and their behaviors in the real life. How do you sort of think about what data to collect in the early days so that you're set up for success later on? Totally. I mean, right now I have a very strong opinion, which is that like we shouldn't be collecting information that we are not directly using to provide value back to the person who's coming to us for it. So when we ask questions, they're because by knowing the answer to that question, we can provide you with a specific insight, right? If we ask you if you have PCOS, it's because there's something we can tell you about PCOS and the vaginal microbiome with your specific results. And I think, you know, some people will say, you have these consumers, why not ask them a million questions and build, you know, this wild data set? And I think right now we are so focused on providing value to that person with a vagina who has suffered for so long that our focus right now is more on creating an educational and amazing experience for her more than it is saying, you know, how do we build the largest data set to sell to someone one day? Yeah, for sure. And uh, thinking about your team, you know, it sounds like a lot of it is sort of on the content side and also growth side. How do you think about building a team that is, you know, set up for success at the seed stage? Totally. I mean, it's been really amazing to kind of see the different parts of our team come together and realize how interdependent it is when you're in a kind of scientific and healthcare space. We have our clinical research and, you know, senior scientists and the people who are the experts in the vaginal microbiome who are guiding, you know, the actual product development. They have to work super closely with our marketing and content team so that we can actually put out true scientific information to a community of women who have not had that on Google, unfortunately. Um, They also work super closely with our product team that is actually you know, data scientists, engineers, product people who are working on actually developing a physical and digital experience for our consumers. And then we also have health coaches who work with our consumers directly. And it's really amazing to kind of have that science and research team at the center and they kind of interface with all of the different components that you need to have a true direct-to-consumer product, right? Everything from content and education to product experiences, to algorithm-based product experiences, to coaching, to customer service. Um, And it's, I think, a unique set of challenges that consumer healthcare companies specifically have around how do you scale that knowledge and that science so that it can be a part of every single department of the company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sounds like you have like a 100-person company. (laughs) No, we're Um, 10 people. But everyone (laughs) runs their own. It's like we have a senior scientist, we have a clinical research scientist, marketing, product, engineering, data science, coaching. So everyone is a one-man show, but they're all doing an amazing job. (laughs) That's awesome. And then kind of thinking about, you know, scaling, how do you think about scaling to the next level? And if you can share like how many patients Evie serves today, I'm curious, like what is the right amount of patients or maybe like what is a benchmark of the amount of patients for a seed stage company in healthcare? 
I think it totally varies. I mean, I've talked to so many other founders at the seed stage and our numbers are like orders of magnitude different. And I think it really depends what you are trying to prove at the seed stage. I always think like, you know, this at the seed stage, your job as a founder is to say, what are the biggest risks to my company succeeding and how do I de-risk them as much as possible? And if, you know, customer acquisition or will someone pay for this is the biggest risk, the number of customers is a really important benchmark to be thinking about. But if it's really like, does my care pathway improve outcomes? It doesn't really matter if you do that. I mean, it does, but it's not the end of the world if you do that on a thousand versus 10,000 people, right? It's like really what you want to do is prove that something works. And I think that it's really important that as a healthcare company, you think about what is that big risk and how do I mitigate that and not just think about how many customers do I have, right? And so I think for us, we've been really centered on both, you know, showing that people will pay for it because I think a lot of people will question, you know, do consumers really care about their vaginal health? Is it a really big problem? And of course, you and I know that it is a very big problem indeed. But then the other question being like, can we show that actually having more comprehensive data can really change outcomes and can really provide insights that allow women to be more proactive, preventative, get better care, advocate for themselves. Um, And so those are all the things that we're really focused on and thinking about. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think in terms of your next step, or even thinking about scaling your team to 10 people and more in the future, what are some challenges that you faced through scaling and how did you work to overcome it? I mean, everything is hard. Like truly everything is hard. So when we, when you ask how many, what challenges have we faced? I mean, every possible type of challenge you can imagine has been hard. Um, but I think that the way that we've really come through it is by, we always say at our, at Evie, like leverage each other's superpowers and like know what yours are and knows, know what other people's are. And I think it's been amazing to, you know, leverage my co-founder who's so creative also just, you know, truly has suffered from recurrent yeast infections for over a decade and really like bringing her into the room when we're having scientific conversations. Right. And like, how do we, you know, bring all of those different minds? Because these are really complex problems with a lot of stakeholders. And it's actually been really amazing to have a small team of totally different expertises around the table because it allows us to actually come up with much, much more creative solutions than I think we would if we were all like one type of expertise. So I think that has been really, really helpful for us as we think about, you know, solving problems. Um, And I think that, you know, moving forward, I think that we will continue to have a lot of challenges. I think that there are plenty of people who are invested in the status quo the way it is, who want to say, you know, until we know everything, people shouldn't have access to anything. And I think we very strongly disagree with that. We always say, you know, women and people with vaginas are smart. So help them understand what we know, help them understand what we don't know. And we can't wait till we know the answer to every single question to provide people with better information than we have today, because we can definitely do better than what we do today. We just like haven't given people that information. And I I think that we will continue to come up against those types of challenges as well as, you know, it's funny, it's like you have the challenges that a healthcare company has, the challenges that a direct-to-consumer company has. And so you just put them all in one bucket and you hopefully bring together an amazing team of people who who help you through. Yeah, no, I think the point around having a really diverse team, you know, is super valuable at this stage. And then also like being as someone like as a leader like you, trusting people in their expertise and their superpowers to do the best they can do. I also love how you, you know, say like you assume, I mean, we know that women are smart and, you know, we want to yeah. make them smarter. I, I love that, you know, framing. So another quote <laughs> for today. No, totally. I think it's so wild how many people have said like, well, we don't have, we don't know everything about that microbe yet. And I'm like, I know, 
That's the whole point. If you tell someone you're not alone in that a lot of people have this microbe, a lot of people have your symptoms and we're trying to figure it out right now. And I think that like giving people the information relieves so much anxiety, even if you don't have all the answers. And our job is to be really transparent. Our job is to say, here's what we know. Here's what is unknown. Here's what's being studied. Here's where the research that was done was done on people who look nothing like you. So maybe this research doesn't apply to you. Like, how do we make the science more accessible to people and then treat them like they're smart and let them, I mean, they're the experts on their own bodies. So like we should be <laughs> equipping them with all of the information so that they can partner with the healthcare system to for shared decision-making. And I think, you know, we aren't customers of the healthcare system. We should be partners in it. And I think right. trying to treat women and people with vaginas as partners in their own health. That's awesome. Great. And and kind of shifting towards as someone um, who I'm sure the healthcare community is really strong, especially in women's health. I'm curious, like maybe even outside of vaginal health or even in vaginal health, what are areas, broadly speaking, that you're really excited about that you've seen around you, maybe at conferences or among friends? Yeah. I mean, I am so energized by the community of other founders in the women's health space. Like it is just amazing how many people like us have looked at our own experiences and said like, no, this isn't good enough. Like, this is crazy. Like, I think we, you know, look at our male peers and we're like, why is it so easy for you to move through the healthcare system? And why is it so hard for me? Why can't I get answers? Why don't I understand what's going on? And it's been amazing to see that happen in so many different verticals, right? Us in vaginal health, we have friends working on every piece of the journey. Um, and I think like I'm so inspired by and excited about all of that innovation and just have a lot of hope that like our daughters will live in a totally different world because of that. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm actually going to be interviewing a lot of women's health CEOs, you oh, know, good. this week and next week. So we'll have a series. <laughs> yeah, I, love that. I really am excited for all of us to be able to collaborate and work together and say, mm-hmm. you know, some people who have vaginal health issues need pelvic floor therapy. And we have friends who run a pelvic floor therapy company. And I'm so excited to be able to refer our patients to them and, you know, they yeah. can refer theirs to ours. And it's been so amazing to see the ecosystem of companies that, you know, individually we all are in our own kind of vertical, but like, obviously we're all, we have a one body, right. And there's a lot of challenges that we have and being able to actually <laughs> partner to try to stitch together the experience that, that we wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then an area for you to plug in case you're hiring, you know, what types of roles would you be hiring for if someone is listening and is like, Oh my God, I need to join Evie. Yes, we are hiring for two roles right now, one on the operations side and one on the kind of strategic project side. So lots of new things happening at Evie right now. We definitely need some some hands on deck to help us get there. Okay, great. I'll write those links. <laughs> um, yeah, awesome. I think wrapping up my last question, and I, I already touched upon this across the interview, but maybe one last lesson from entrepreneurship that you would like to share with any aspiring founders or folks in the health tech community. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I think that the, you know, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I think that um a really one that's been really important for me and been really hard for me too is, you know, looking at yourself and saying, you know, if I don't have 10 degrees, you know, if I'm not an MD or a PhD or whatever it is, like how can I play a role in improving the healthcare system? And I think, you know, for every person who's looking at their own healthcare journey and has ideas of ways to solve it. It's like you play a role in the system, right? The system, it's going to take a village to change it across whether you want to be in policy, whether you want to be on the provider side, whether you want to be on the tech side, there's so much need 
patient advocates, like there's so much need, especially in women's health that I think that not being afraid of not being the expert and instead knowing what you are the expert in, are you the expert in the patient journey? Are you the expert in the challenges or the symptoms that are being overlooked? And how do you actually bring that to the system and partner with the people who are the experts in the areas you're not, right? I think one of the things that's been the most important for us as a company is we have an incredible, incredible medical and science advisory board of OBGYNs, some of the original researchers on the vaginal microbiome, and they're able to fill in the gaps in the areas where by no means am I an expert, right? But we're able to bring the patients and the community of people who are suffering and help people understand what they really need in a way that potentially those experts couldn't, right? And so knowing that you don't have to be the expert to play a role in solving these problems can hopefully get more diverse people who've suffered from problems that have been overlooked into the system to solve them. Because trust me, it's going to take all of us. Yeah, no, I think that's super inspiring for folks. And I I think giving them the confidence to take the next step. Great. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Um, Really enjoyed having you and learning from you and excited for the world to hear it. No, thank you so much for having me. 